In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we firmly believe that you are here, and that you see us, that you hear us. Help us to have eyes that notice you, and ears that hear you, and hearts that are rendered unto you, that we may know the fulfillment of your promises. And truly come to know your joy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I hope the morning's been fruitful so far for you. And I always, I always have to trust that our Lord's going to make up the difference. Um, right? That our Lord's going to make up the difference. I don't know what to make of your laughter at that, if that means so. We are too, Father, because this has been horrible. No. Um, and so that's kind of third coming of our Lord, right? And that coming of our Lord into our hearts. And, uh, and that's something that it, I don't know, I think early in my priesthood, I never really talked about that very much because afraid of sounding like a Protestant. Because um, Protestants always talk about that, you know, and, and for some reason as Catholics, we always feel like we have to defend ourselves against Protestants. And so like whatever they say, I can't say that. You know, have you asked Jesus into your heart? No, I received him in my stomach. Have you done that? <laughs> well, I think he's supposed to dwell here too. Right? I think he's supposed to dwell here too. And, uh, and we, sh- we shouldn't, like, refute things that are really important. Um, because of, like, really dumb conflicts. You know, and that's, it's just a small example of how, like, division and defensiveness keep us from noticing something really good. You know, division and defensiveness keep us from noticing something really good. And they keep us from noticing people. You know, and we do live in a world that is more divided than I've ever like, experienced in my lifetime, and most likely in your lifetimes. And that kind of division, it invades our families. And I really think we've become habituated to, um, like, somebody has to be against me. And... Uh, and it's political, it's, like, it's, it's within the church, it's, it's kind of within our like, culture, it's within our town, it's on the issue of wearing masks or not wearing masks. And like, this is like the major, the biggest issue in the church seems to be like whether or not you have to wear a mask to mass on Sundays. And I'm like, I think the devil is really happy that that's what we're talking about. Like, I think he's really happy that like, really smart people in the church are writing blogs about this. Because then they're not writing blogs about things like, how do you actually be holy? Or how do you actually surrender your life to our Lord? Or who is our Lord really? 
Because somewhere in the midst of all that division, we, we lose sight of that and we don't see that anymore. And we don't talk to each other enough. You know, one of the examples that I use is like I have, I have an aunt that I love very much. If she's listening to this, I hope she's not offended. Um, and, uh, and I went to visit her, and, and I'm probably, like, I, I don't watch the news anymore because it just, I don't know, I just don't watch the news. I'm probably an irresponsible citizen. Um, but I don't watch the news. But if I did watch the news, I'd probably watch Fox News, and most of my friends probably would watch Fox News. And I went to visit my aunt in Arizona, and they watch MSNBC News, and, and I was listening to this news show and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is what craziness. And then, I, and then I realized like everybody believes what that person is saying. I don't think I've ever met anybody who believes what that person is saying. And, and it was like fascinating to me as I was going to get a LaCroix out of the refrigerator that, that like we're that different and... Um, and, and how deep that division runs. And the violence that it does, not just in society, but it, the violence it does in our own hearts. Because, because if I wasn't, you know, in a place where I really love my aunt, I, probably, I, I might have been tempted to just be like, well, I can't talk to her about anything because she, she can't believe anything is true. Like, if, if she believes that person, like, then she just doesn't know the truth and it's pointless to talk to her. It'd be really easy to go there. It would be really easy to do that. And, uh, and I don't have to be afraid of that. Like, I don't have to be afraid of her because she's different from me. You know, John Paul II, when he talks about like, gender complementarity, what he says is like, like women reveal to men who they are. Like a woman reveals to me who I am myself. And men reveal to women who they are in themselves because of our difference. Because when I'm confronted with somebody that's different, I have to step outside of myself and reflect on myself and reflect on who I am. And I come to know who I am. I come to know what makes me unique. And it's something that's really important so that we can grow. When we're confronted with Jesus who is God and we're not God, it points out to us like what it means to be a fallen human. And then through that self-knowledge, I can then ask him to change what needs to be changed so that I can become more like him. And it's important that we remember that. That's why the prophets always say, like, remember that I am God and you're not. I'm God, you're not God. And that's a truth. It's a fundamental truth. It's, if, if, we, if we don't believe that truth, then we're wasting our time with Advent because like, we're waiting for somebody to come that's the same as us, and that's, like, that doesn't work. But it's a fundamental truth that we're not God, and if we're not God, we need him. If we're not God, we need him. And there are lots of temptations that come up that are really temptations to be God for ourselves. 
And the most sneaky one is when we can't forgive ourselves for something. And we sort of beat ourselves up in our head. And we spend a lot of time thinking about like, if only I hadn't done that one thing, my whole life would be different. I'd be a millionaire. I'd be so happy. And we beat ourselves up. And any time we're doing that, any time we're being our own judge, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And we're saying, you know, like if anybody's ever had this experience where you go to confession, you've confessed your sins, you've heard the words of absolution, but you still don't quite feel forgiven. Like, I feel like I still have to do something more to make up for this. You're really saying, I know better than Jesus what's good for me. Or any time we're using the word should a lot in our own vocabulary. I should, I should, I should be, I think should be different. I should have been different. I shouldn't have eaten McDonald's this morning. Like, that's legit. I really shouldn't have eaten McDonald's this morning. But <laughs> I did. And, um, like, any times you should, like, we're really saying, like, I know better than God what my life is supposed to be. And there was a long time in my own life that I felt like I was living on the wrong timeline. And when I was, because I, I had felt called to be a priest ever since I was a kid. I'm just using this by way of example. That when I was a kid, I felt like God wants me to be a priest. And, and then I went to West Point and studied at West Point. And you have like two years to leave before you have to stay at West Point. So it's like if you go to class, your first academic class of your junior year, you're stuck for the next seven years. And so it was like this big like night of anxiety kind of like, you know, like who's, who's not going to come to class tomorrow? And, and, uh, and I went to, I had a dream that night before. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever, I've never told this story in a talk before. So I had a dream that night when I went to bed. And in my dream, I was sitting on the front porch of my childhood home with my little brother, Kevin, who's now, he's a psychologist in Des Moines now. And, uh, and I'm sitting there with him, and he's only like 10 at the time. And he looks at me, and he's like, but I thought you were going to be a priest. And I said, well, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here, and I'm going to finish. And, the, and then maybe like someday I'll be a priest. And he was like, oh, so you're going to be a priest later? And, and I had this sentiment of like, uh, this is kind of a weird dream. And then there's like this sort of like demon looking creature like down on the corner who threw a spear at me, like went through my heart and I woke up like with a blank head. It's the freakiest dream I've ever had. And it haunted me for the next like, I don't even know how long I was probably 18 at the time. So like almost 10, almost 20 years. And so for almost 20 years, I, I kept thinking, like, what would my life have been like if I would have left West Point after my sophomore year and gone to the seminary right away? And so I'm, I'm constantly thinking things like this. Like, when I was ordained for five years, I was constantly thinking, like, I would have been ordained 10 years now, and what would I have been doing? And, and how would that have gone? And, and maybe I'm on the wrong timeline. Like, I was supposed to leave West Point, go home, raise my siblings, for my parents, and, uh, and then maybe go to the seminary or maybe I would have married that one person and, have, I'd have, and I was constantly thinking things like this. 
and constantly feeling like two people. It was crazy. And all of that is a rejection of God's providence. All of that is prideful. Because all of that is saying, like, I know better than God what my life is supposed to be. And this kind of idea that there's, like, plan A, and if you mess up, well, then you're on, like, plan B for the rest of your life, and it's not as good. It's not what God wants. And I think I was about 37 years old when I came to this conclusion that, like, oh, wait... (laughs) God wants me to be exactly where I am right now. And even if I've made mistakes in the past, even if I've sinned in the past, our Lord's plan is to redeem me and keep going. It's just to redeem me and keep going. And I'm not a fan of, the, of this kind of like language. Sometimes people will say things to me like, well, thank God that God gave you a really difficult, dysfunctional family so you can help all these other families. Like, like that's great. Like, God's like a sadist. <laughs> I'm going to make this kid miserable just so he can help other people. I don't really care about him. It's not how our Lord works. But he can redeem it, right? He can redeem it. No, like our Lord can redeem the pandemic that we're going through. He, he can redeem it. Now, for me personally, on Thanksgiving, he redeemed it a little bit. Because I have a friend in Virginia who just wanted to get the heck out of Dodge. So he drove to Dodge, Kansas. Now, my friend from Virginia drove to Wichita to meet another friend. And I've been friends with these guys for like 30 years. And, uh, and, I got, and then my mom canceled her Thanksgiving plans to come to Iowa. And so I got to go see my friends in Kansas. And I've, I've never spent that time with my friends in Kansas. It was, it was great. And I was like, thank God for the coronavirus. <laughs> because otherwise my Thanksgiving, I wouldn't have been like, this is something new. There's something new our Lord's doing. Right? There's something new our Lord's doing. And there's always something new our Lord's doing. And, and the kind of division that we live in, it causes us to look at each other and we stop looking at our Lord. When we worry too much about protecting what we have, we stop looking at what our Lord is doing this new. And the world needs us to be looking at our Lord and looking to what new thing he's going to do. You know, within the world that is so divided, the most united people in the world should be Catholic Christians. Like we're the one church. And then there's need for lots of healing in our own church and in our own lives. And we're a Catholic church, which means we have room for all kinds of like different expressions of the faith. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And our Lord needs, our Lord's calling us to, right, be united. But that means like there's unity in the church, which means there's unity in our families, which means there's unity in our own hearts. And that's where we start. And that means that we start with the ways that we encounter him and allow him to do what he wants to do. And we let him be God and know that we're not God and let him change our life and reveal to us who we are. And reveal to us who we are. Because even in the midst of all, like in all of this, there's a particular gift that our Lord wants to give to us right now.
And if, if we're looking in the wrong spots, we're going to miss it. And so we keep saying during Advent, be vigilant, be, be vigilant, be vigilant, be vigilant. Watch, you know not the time nor the hour. And that also means every single day of our lives, watch because you don't know the time or the hour. Like, watch because our Lord wants to show up. Because he wants to show up. The scripture passage that I want to point to, it can be any passage where our Lord shows up. But this is the story of Bartimaeus. It says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, he is calling you. He threw aside his cloak, sprang up, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to him, Master, I want to see. And Jesus told him, Go on your way, your faith has saved you. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. There's lots of places that we can go with this passage. He hears Jesus is coming by. He hears there's a possibility and he just cries out, Son of David, have pity on me. You know, and there's a part of each and every one of us that needs to do the same. Right, to just cry out, Son of David, have pity on me. And then everybody around him is like, shut up. Don't say that. Don't let anybody know that you have needs. They don't even know you're blind. Don't say that. And then he cries out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. And isn't that the dialogue that goes on in our heads? Like, there's a part of me that just needs redemption. There's a part of me that just needs our Lord. There's a part of me that just needs to be loved or held or whatever it is. And this other part's like, shut up. Don't let anybody know. You can do this on your own. And, and it's this war that goes on with ourselves. And the example that we have in Bartimaeus is that he, he just like unleashes his need. And he's able to quiet the crowd in his head, like the crowd around him for legitimately, but for us it might be the crowd in our head that keeps telling us like, don't tell anybody you need help. Don't ask for help. You can do this on your own. You don't need a savior. You can save yourself and let the savior save all the weak people. Son of David, have pity on me. And the Lord hears that cry, and then Jesus just enters into his life and says, what do you want me to do for you? 
What do you want me to do for you? So what do you want him to do for you? Like right here, right now, this Advent. What do you want him to do for you? And don't be afraid of asking for something good. Don't be afraid of asking for something big. Somebody in Wahoo sent me a message the other day. They were like, Father, we just really appreciate that you're here and we want to do something for you and the other priests. Don't be afraid to think big. There's a part of me that's like, well, I don't really deserve anything, you know? Like, I just kind of showed up and now, like, I I don't really deserve, like, I really should say, I want you to build me a chapel. (laughs) (laughs) And they might not be able to meet that need, and that's okay. They might get me, like, a candlestick. But, But the point is, I should, like, be able to say, this is what I want you to do for me, especially with our Lord who can do it. And so, like, don't be afraid of asking him for what you want him to do for you. Like, I want you to convert my family member who is obstinate towards the church. That's what I want you to do for me. I want you to set me free from this habitual sin that's been in my life my entire life. That's what I want you to do for me. I want you to make our marriage thrive like in a way that I never knew would be possible. That's what I want you to do for me. I just don't want to have these negative thoughts anymore. I want you to cure my depression. I want you to heal like my arthritis. Like whatever it is, just don't be afraid of asking. Because he asks, like, what do you need? And this is the path for Bartimaeus is to like let that little, that part of him just cry out, this is what I need. And then our Lord says, what do you want me to do? And don't be afraid of telling him. And then we follow him because that's what Bartimaeus does. He just follows him. And when we're not afraid of asking him for what we need, he starts sending us the people that we need to meet that need, right? And then it's about being watchful for the ways in which our Lord shows up in our life. Because sometimes he shows up in our life in weird ways. Like I I told this story of like these Italian guys I introduced and we're on this big Zoom meeting. So I I I team taught that with a therapist who... I have no idea. I was in Italy like two years ago for the same kind of a conference and I was like given this conference and there's no Italian therapists who have a lot of experience treating those kinds of addictions. And so I just did a Google search for like anybody in America who treats those kinds of addictions and speaks Italian and I got three people. And so I emailed these three random people. I have no idea if they're believers, non-believers. And one of them writes me back. And, and she's a therapist in Santa Monica, California, who I have no idea what her religious affiliation is. And, but she loves Italian and sex addiction. Like, like of course, because everybody loves those two things, right? Um, but those are her two things. So, so she says, yes, I'm going to do this with you. And it was like, it was amazing. And, and, I, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, you need to send me someone that can do this. And, and probably my desire was, like, I would find someone who's like a, 
who's like a religious sister who speaks Italian and treats this, and, and we're all Catholic, we're all gonna get along. No, like he sends me like this lady who's amazing, but not exactly who I thought I would get. Right, not exactly who I thought I would get. But if I didn't have eyes to see, I might have been like, oh, you're different. Like, that's not going to work out. You know, I keep asking our Lord. I'm like, Jesus, you need to send me people to help me. And he sends me all these, like, random people. My best friend is, like, an almost Catholic Nazarene therapist from the Church of the Nazarene who's, like, more Catholic than a lot of... He, like, teaches Humanae Vitae at Indiana Wesleyan sneakily. And our Lord just sent me those people. And, and my spirit, it all started with my spiritual director telling me, like, don't be afraid of asking our Lord to send you the people that you need. And he did. But we have to have eyes to see. Because sometimes we miss them. And that's what our Lord continues to do. It's what he wants to do every single day of our lives is to continue to show up. As we cry out to him, just as Bartimaeus does. Now, another like, passage you might look at is the healing of the crippled man at Bethesda and, and where there's those pools and people would go down into the pool in Bethesda and they would be healed of things. And this person had been there for 30, 38 years. And our Lord goes to him and he says, do you want to be well? It's another good question. Do you want to be well? And what I love about that story is that the person just sort of is super honest. He doesn't say yes. He just says, Lord, I don't have anybody to put me in the water when they're going down to the water. And every time I try to get there, somebody beats me. I'm just kind of stuck. He doesn't say he wants to be well. He just kind of makes, he actually is kind of making an excuse. But he's answering honestly. And our Lord says, rise, pick up your mat and walk. You know, and those are the questions our Lord asks us. Do you want to see? you want to be well. And those are the questions that lead to that desire that's willing to let him make all those mountains low and those valleys raised so that the path towards him is safe and secure and fast. As we continue through the Advent season, it's a great opportunity to, to continue to reflect on that, on like, how is our Lord encountering me each day? How am I being vigilant each day? What do I want him to do for me? And as we encounter him and surrender our life to him and welcome him into our own hearts, he brings peace. 
And he brings unity where there's division. And he brings light where there's darkness. And that's the light that the world needs. It's the light that our families need. It's the light that our church needs. And so we pray that we might keep our eyes on our Lord. And I just invite you during this this last time of prayer, anything that resonated, to just bring that to him and to be fearless in crying out to him, to be fearless in asking him for what you need. To be fearless in surrendering to him. That he may in fact transform our hearts, our families, and the whole world.